0: Uh, if you'd have your Bibles, uh, turn with me to Second Peter. Second Peter chapter three, we have turned a corner, in a sense, in the book of Peter, at least a, a corner in the tone of Peter. We've been working through it now. I think this is the um, the twelfth message in Peter. So we've been here for some time. And uh, I just want to read the first two verses, and then we'll comment on those as we work our way through the text. Second Peter chapter three. This is now the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you will remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of our Lord and Savior through your apostles. Father, thanks for these words. They have a context which we'll dive into. Would you just help us relax now for the next number of minutes? We can't go anywhere. We're not going anywhere. And so we might as well just make the best of this next 35 minutes or so and listen and think about your word and think about your gift of your word to us and the instruction that it gives us to life. And Father, I pray that we will heed even the words of Peter here for us today, these ancient words. I ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. If you've been with us in the last little while, when you're in 2 Peter chapter 2, it can be a pretty dark portion of scripture. It's a portion of Scripture about false teachers, and it tells us what they're like, and it tells us what they teach. And it's discouraging. It's necessary, but it's discouraging. And so when you come to chapter 3, there's a tone change. All of a sudden, it's bright, and it's cheery, and it's, it's um, warm, and it's, it's nice. It's like a breath of fresh air, so to speak. But it's been necessary at least to think about false teachers because they are everywhere, not just in the church, but they are in the world in which we live. Almost every profession, almost every aspect of life has false teachers. And so their methods aren't all that different, whether you're in the church or outside of the church. And so it's helpful just to review what characterizes false teachers and what they use to lure us into um, accepting their teaching. What Peter has been driving at and we keep reminding ourselves of this, is a particular aspect of the Christian faith which has been under attack, and that is the second coming of Jesus Christ. The second coming of Jesus Christ is everywhere in the Scripture, both Old Testament and New Testament. And what's associated with the second coming of Jesus Christ is the day of judgment. When Christ comes back, he will usher in the final day of judgment at the end of the age. For many people, that is something that they don't even want to think about. They don't want to consider. They don't want to talk about. And false teachers understand that. They know that. They don't want to, um, they they want to counter those who say, well, you need to live within certain boundaries. You need to, you you can't be free in every way that you live. There's some behaviors that are good, and there's some behaviors that are bad. There's a way that God wants us to live that is pleasing to him, and there's a way that God doesn't want us to live with his displeasing to him. And the false teachers come along and say, no, there's nothing like that. Christ isn't coming back. There is no judgment at the end of the days. These guys are just trying to control you by fear. They're trying to determine your behaviors by saying, all these things are going to happen to you, and so they will control you. That's not true. And so that's what Peter has been dealing with. He's been dealing with those that have been trying to undermine one of the central truths of Scripture. And that's something that we have to ask ourselves as those who live in this world. Is this life all that there is? Does anything happen when we die? Is there anything at the end of the road for us? Is there anything at the end of the world for us? If there is, is it everlasting life or everlasting punishment or a combination of both of those? See, Peter has been covering this ground in chapter 1. He's been reminding us of all the wonderful things that God has done for us. And then our response to God is to live a certain way. And as we live that certain way, then he says, and these will guarantee or these will make your entrance into the eternal kingdom wide. In other words, Peter has already been preparing us for the fact there is life to come at the end of this age. And then in chapter 2, he has the false teachers who come along and say, no, no, it's just a bunch of, just don't believe it. It's not true. It's not going to happen. And what Peter is wanting us to understand is that there are different words in this world. There are words that, if we listen to them, will cause us to live this way. And if there's other words that we listen to, they will direct our lives this way. Words always work themselves out in behavior. Who you listen to and what you listen to will eventually determine how you act and how you behave. And so Peter has been describing the kind of life that one will live if one lives in light of no judgment. And that's chapter 2. It will be a life where you follow your passions. It will be a life where you don't submit to any authority. It will be a life of sexual indulgence. It's just a life that's there's no restrictions because there's nothing to bridle those restrictions. And then when we come to chapter 3, Peter says, well, hold on a minute. Let me tell you why God has delayed the return of Christ. The false teachers will tell you it's never going to happen. But let me tell you why God has delayed it. He's delayed it because he doesn't want anybody to miss out on salvation. The delay that God is giving. So everyone is here today who doesn't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, that is a mark of God's mercy and grace towards you. He's wanting you to turn your life over to Christ and find life in Christ. But he's saying that that day is certain, and how will that day determine the way that you live? Well, he he lists it for you in chapter 3. He says, if you believe in a final day when God is going to come back through Christ in judgment, then you will live this way. In other words, what you believe will shape your behavior. So he writes there, If what you believe shapes your behavior, then his whole address is on wholesome thinking, right thinking. And that's what he says here in verse 1. He says, I've written you two letters. Both of those letters are intended to stir you up to a sincere mind. Or as the NIV puts it, that these things are written so that you might be stirred up to wholesome thinking. Wholesome thinking matters. Do you ever think about that? Do you ever think about what you're thinking? Something only human beings can do, by the way. But do you ever think about what you're thinking? Do you think that this thing I'm thinking is a good thing? Or this thing that I'm thinking is a bad thing? Do you ever work through that what you're thinking will determine what you're doing? That your behavior always flows from what you're thinking? And so it matters how we think. And so that's what Peter is saying. He says, I want to stir you up to wholesome thinking. See, false teachers are so attractive. And they have a boldness and a confidence to them. And they have a way with words that stimulates a certain kind of thinking that will result in a certain kind of behaving, which is pleasing to our senses. It fulfills our passions. It it fulfills our desire to not have anybody over us, to not have authority over us in any way. It's a kind of thinking that the false teachers are promoting that says, listen, just follow your passions. You don't have to be accountable to anybody. You can have your cake and eat it too. Go with the flow. Isn't going with the flow the easy way of thinking? Have you ever found that in life? It's always easier to go with the flow, to go with the mainstream of how people are thinking, always. Because as soon as you go against the flow, you encounter conflict. You encounter difficulty. It's so much easier to follow the trends, whether it's at school, whether it's with your friends, whether it's at university, whether it's uh, uh, amongst those that you work with. Mental cruise control is always easier than having to keep your mind on the speed that you're going and on the road that you're driving. How do you... counter this? Or how do you counter, then, this push to drive us to glow with the flow of the world? Well, Peter says, I have written to stimulate you to think rightly. One guy, and I should have written down who it is. I can probably do it in my notes, but he says, wholesome thinking is reason uncontaminated by the seductive influence of the senses. So wholesome thinking comes from reason. That's really important to It comes from good thoughts and from training our minds as as opposed to letting our flesh and our desires and our wants determine our thinking. The word is actually a word which means um, won't mat. You can hold up to a a light and it won't melt. In the old days, uh, they would make statues. And not every rock was flawless. And so they would fill the holes and the gaps in the statues with wax and then they would cover over them. But if you actually took a statue that they had made and you held it up to the light or put it into the sunlight, the light would show the wax or the sunlight would eventually melt the wax. Hi, how's it going? And it would, it, would, it would melt the wax. And so you would see the flaws. And so wholesome thinking is thinking that doesn't have flaws. It can stand the test of light. And so that's what Peter is saying. So in another place, Peter says, Therefore, prepare your minds for action." And being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Christ. Do you see what he's saying? He says, wholesome thinking is determined by down the road, not in the moment. And the down the road is that Jesus Christ is coming back. That's the the revelation of Christ is the same as the coming of Christ or the return of Christ. And so his wholesome thinking is determined by having a long-term view of life and the world, not a short-term view. Philippians 4.8, some of you could probably say that from memory. Therefore, or finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think on these things. Peter knows that what we think about will affect our behaviors and our actions. Proverbs 9 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Colossians 3.2 says, Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. So wholesome thinking matters. Let me unpack a few things then that Peter drives at with wholesome thinking here. Just so that we maybe get a glimpse of how important it is. Wholesome thinking about God thinking about you. That's a mouthful. From the one word, beloved. If you understand and wrestle that word beloved around, and it's used now four times in chapter three. It's a a beautiful word. It's an amazing word, this word, beloved. If you are a child of God, you are beloved. Do you know that? Beloved is a word that really originates in the family. And so parents would often call their children beloved. It was a, it was a, it was a great word of affection. It, it's a word that is used often of adopted children, of the, 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 the love that their parents have as they set their sights on a young boy or a young girl, and they adopt them into their family, and they become a beloved beloved. Part of their family. In a way, every single Christian is an adopted child. We've all been adopted by God into his family. And John says, behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us, that you should be called sons and daughters of God. This phrase, beloved, will stimulate wholesome thinking because it will stimulate your thinking about God and about God's love for you and your relationship with God. I hope to be preaching on the book of Malachi um, in the fall. One of the first verses of Malachi is a declaration of God through the prophet Malachi. He says, I have loved you. But you know what the people's response to that was? How have you loved me? Shocking. It's shocking that a child of God would ever respond back to God's declaration of love by saying, really, how have you loved me? But we'll deal with that when we get to Malachi. Jeremiah speaks these words of God as well: "I have loved you with an everlasting love." Do you know that as a beloved child of God, God loved you before the foundation of the world? It's hard to wrap our heads around that as people, but God loved us before He ever made this world. It's an everlasting love. Zephaniah is a verse that I often return to. Zephaniah three sixteen: "For your, the Lord your God is living among you; He is a mighty savior." He will take delight in you with gladness. With his love, he will calm all your fears. He will rejoice over you with joyful singing. Will that not change the way that you think? Think about God. Think about God's relationship with you. To know that God rejoices over you with singing. What about John 3.16? For God so loved the world that he gave. What about Romans 8.32, God demonstrated his love towards you while you were yet a sinner. What about Romans chapter, uh, the end of chapter 8? And I am convinced of this, that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Well, love of God, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Are you convinced of God's love for you? Do you know that God has loved you with an everlasting love? Beloved, that is wholesome thinking. Could we with ink the ocean fill, the songwriter wrote, and were the skies of parchment made, with every stalk on earth a quill, and every man a scribe by trade to write the love of God above, would drain the oceans dry. Nor could the scroll contain the whole, though scratched from side to sky. And I bet you if I said, let's sing it, O love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong. It shall forevermore endure, the saints and angels' song. Loved ones, Wholesome thinking is stimulated by reminding yourself that you are beloved. The second thing that Peter says is that wholesome thinking needs encouragement. Do you know that, right? We need encouragement to think rightly. We need encouragement to think properly. He says these reminders, first and second Peter, are meant to stimulate you to wholesome thinking, to stir you up by way of reminder. You see, we forget things, don't we? We just, we just have this tendency that the farther away we're from a moment of memory, the more distant that memory becomes, the more it fades in our minds. Effective parents know this. You don't just tell your children something once. You tell it to them again and again and again and again and again. Effective teachers know that as well. To, 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 to drive some of the basics home into students, you, you go over the same ground again. You have refreshers. You have reminders. You get ready for a test and you say, well, these are the things that we covered. Effective pastors know that too. They don't just teach new things all the time, new, new, new. They go back over old ground and they remind us of things that God has said before. Memory is a friend that needs to be nurtured, cultivated, and protected. It was Charles Spurgeon. um, No, it wasn't Charles Spurgeon who said this. I'll get to that in a moment. God speaking through Isaiah the prophet said this. This is staggering. He says, For you have forgotten the God of your salvation, and you have failed to remember the rock of your strength. Have you ever done that? You hit a real crisis, and the last thing you think of is God? God? the last person you turn to, the last thought into your head is, oh yeah, I'm a child of God. Do you know why we celebrate the Lord's table? For it often is as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you remember the Lord's death until he comes. There's two things we remember when we celebrate the Lord's table. We remember his death because if we didn't, we would forget it. And we remember the fact that Jesus is coming again because if we didn't, we would forget it. So we have things that encourage memory. We have things that remind us. uh, The Bible is full of verses that um, encourage us to remember. One that I was reading again was in Deuteronomy chapter 8. Take care lest you forget the Lord your God. He said, that will never happen to me. How would we forget the Lord our God? By not keeping his commandments, his rules, his statues that I command you today. So every time we disobey, we forget God. It's essentially what he's saying. But then he goes on and he says this, Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and your gold is multiplied and all that, you have in, all that you have is multiplied, then your heart is lifted up and you forget the Lord your God. When we're just starting out in life and we don't have anything and we're struggling, it's easy to turn to the Lord and say, God, you need to help me. God, would you provide me with a job? God, could you get me into such and such a school? God, could you get me a good husband or a good wife? But then as time goes on and we accumulate things and we have a house and we have a car and we've got clothes and we've got a boat, we start looking back and say, boy, I've really worked hard. It's amazing the things that we've accumulated. This is an amazing house. Like in my bank account, it's it's pretty it's pretty stellar. And my boat, boy, it's it's a great boat. And we forget that everything we have comes to us from the hand of God. Everything. Prosperity leads to memory lapses. A life of ease and prosperity warps our thinking. And so Peter says, listen, you need to read these books to stimulate your memory. And in particular, he wants to stimulate our memories about the second coming of Christ. He wants us to understand that even though it's delayed, even though it's been delayed in our life, even though it's been delayed over the generations, it will happen. And he's given us reason to know why it will happen in the lives of Noah, in the lives of fallen angels, in the lives of Sodom and Gomorrah. He says those are examples of the fact that what God says will happen, even though it's delayed. And so all that Peter is trying to do is to get our mental juices flowing. And they do how do we stimulate... Are mental juices to wholesome thinking amongst the people of God. These are going to be obvious, and they're, not, they're meant to be encouragements, but one is by doing just this. By gathering together on a Sunday, when you maybe have a whole bunch of other things that you'd rather do, but listening to the Word of God as it's sung, listening to the Word of God as it's read, listening to the Word of God as it's prayed, listening to the Word of God as it's preached, listening to the Word of God as you encourage one another in your way in and your way out. That's how we're reminded of the things of God and of the words of God. What about daily Bible reading? This isn't meant to be sort of a, a whack over the side of the head. I don't do that myself. But, but do, are you determined to not forget God's word by going into it every day? It might only be for two or three minutes. It might be for two hours some days. But do you make a point of going back and reading the word of God and reminding yourselves of the amazing things that God has said, the things that he has done and the way he keeps his word? Are you mindful of who you listen to and what you listen to? I think the older I I get, I, I realize more that a lot of the stuff that I listened to as a teenager and young adult I shouldn't listen to. It just shaped my thinking and my thoughts in ways that I didn't need it shaped or 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 molded. But it it worked itself out then in my language and in my behaviors. And so we need to be cultivating our wholesome thinking by what we read and what we listen to. And that's the third point. Wholesome thinking flows directly from being in God's word. He says that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandments of our Lord and Savior through your apostles. This is the theme of Peter, right? Words matter. Do you know that? Words matter. Who do you listen to? Because who you listen to will shape your thinking, which will in turn shape your living It's words that help you make sense of reality. It's words that help you understand the world in which we live. It's words that will guide how you live in the world in which we live. It's words that will animate your life. Make no mistake. The world in which we live knows the power of words. Make no mistake that those who want something from you will learn how to speak words that will get that something from you. Words are powerful. Words are effective. These last number of months, and this is not a comment on on good or bad, it's just a comment that says these last number of months have shown us the power of words to shape behaviors. So without hesitation, without qualification, people makes clear that words matter. Peter makes clear that words matter. The Old Testament scriptures, the holy prophets, and the New Testament scripture, the words of the apostles who followed the Lord's commands. Why these words? Why these words? You can go to any library around the world, some of them are massive with tens of thousands of volumes of words. Words that were written to influence and direct and determine behavior. Why do we give special attention to these words? We looked at this two or three weeks ago. It's because of their nature and their origin. There are no other words that claim what this word claims for itself. These words contain the word of God. In everything that these words write about, they speak truth about them. And what's more is these words have not come from human imagination. In other words, people didn't sit down and say, am I going to write a word of God today? These words have come directly from God through men to us. That's what we mean by inspiration. And that's what makes these words unique. These words have a divine origin. These words are of a divine nature. There is nothing like them in the world. And so Peter's saying you have to make a choice in life. you you got to choose. Which words are you going to listen to? Are you going to listen to words from the God who made this world, the the heavens and the earth and sea and everything in it, the God who made you, the God who knows you inside and out, the God who created you in your mother's womb, the God who knows the end from the beginning, the God who knows everything? Are you going to listen to his words? Or are you gonna listen to the words of people who are now dead? Are you gonna listen to the words of people whose words change weekly, monthly, yearly? Psalm one says, "'Blessed is the one who walks not in the counsel.'" Notice the words. "'Blessed is the one who doesn't walk in the words of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, Or sit in the seat of scoffers. Words, words. I don't listen to those words. But he says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree that's planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season and its leaf does not wither and all he does, he prospers. Words. Words determine the outcome of our life. Here's what Charles Spurgeon said. A Bible that is falling apart is usually, or usually belongs to someone who isn't. It's helpful to remember that. It doesn't mean we won't have troubles, but it means that our our, our world will be largely a safe and secure world because God is speaking into our lives. So again, Peter is referencing specifically the words of the Old Testament and the New Testament that speak about the coming of Christ and the coming day of judgment, which by the way, I think it explains why there is so much attempt to undermine the truth of a final day of judgment and of the coming of the Lord by the devil. Doesn't it make sense that he will do everything he can to undermine it, to to attack it, to mock it? Did God really say? Have we heard those words before in Genesis chapter 3? Did God really say that Christ is coming back again? Doesn't God really just want to not let you live the kind of life that you want to live? His tactics haven't changed. His methods haven't changed. Yes, God really did say that he's coming back again. In 23 of the 27 books of the New Testament, they clearly reference the second coming of Jesus Christ. Of the four that don't clearly references, two, have an allusion to the second coming of Christ. In 260 chapters of the New Testament, there are about 300 references by the apostles to the return of Jesus Christ. You cannot read more than a page of the Bible, in the New Testament in particular, without being reminded that Jesus Christ is coming again. Wholesome thinking is stimulated by thinking about God, how God thinks about you. Wholesome thinking is stimulated by reminders in the Word of God. Wholesome thinking is stimulated by reading the Word of God. Wholesome thinking means thinking rightly about Jesus Christ. He says there that I want you to remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of our Lord and Savior. It certainly reminds us of a a reality, doesn't it, that Jesus was on this earth and spoke. That's how we have his words, because he came to earth and he spoke. And those words have been recorded by the apostles for us. But then he reminds us of a reality. And this is such a hard reality for all of us to submit to. But it's the reality that Jesus Christ is Lord. Every single one of us wants to live our lives on our own terms. We, we deceive ourselves in thinking that nobody has authority over us. Well, you are always under somebody's authority, whether or not you recognize it or are willing to recognize it. But there is no better and no safer and no warmer and no wonderful authority than submitting to the authority of Jesus Christ as your Lord. He says, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. He knows what is best for us. He knows what is safest for us. He knows what brings us the most joy. He knows what brings us the most satisfaction. He says, certainly, follow me, submit to me, and I will lead you in the paths of righteousness. I will lead you beside still waters. I will guard you in the valley of darkness. I will, sh- my, my goodness and my mercy will follow you all the days of your life, and then we will dwell together in the house of the Lord forever. Just, just just, bring your life under, under me. Allow me to speak into it. Allow me to guide it. Submit yourself to me. The Bible is very clear that at the end of this age, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Peter says, right now, just submit to his lordship. It's, a, it's not a horrible thing. It's a wonderful thing. Who do you submit to? And secondly, notice the second aspect of that relationship, our Lord and our Savior. You will stimulate wholesome thinking if you remind yourself that Jesus is your Lord and all that implications for your life and that Jesus is your Savior. Do you think of that? Those of you who know Christ as your Lord and Savior, do you think of him often as your Savior? Do you you work that through in a day? Do you work that through... In a week, you work that through in a month? Do you marvel at the fact that he's your savior? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. For by grace you have been saved by faith, and this not of yourself, it is a gift of God. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. You say saved from what? Well, according to Peter... And according to the Bible, ultimately saved from the wrath of God, saved from the punishment and the penalty of our sins, saved from the results of our rebellion against God. But not only are we saved from things, we are saved to things. We are saved to everlasting life. We are saved to wholeness and, and, and fullness of life, both now and in the life to come. We are saved to, to health physically and mentally. We are saved to an incredible life with God. As the songwriter said, hallelujah, what a Savior. Does that not stimulate wholesome thinking as you, as you go about your day and you think, oh, Father, thank you for sending Christ. Thank you for opening my eyes to see him and my my need of him. Thank you, thank you for delivering me from myself. Thank you for giving me the hope of eternal life. Thank you that I know Christ personally. Thank you, Jesus, that you came. And as we think about him as our Savior, that will also influence the direction of our life and our behaviors. And finally, really shortly, wholesome thinking will deliver you from destruction. This is a general statement, but I won't go into chapter, verse 3 this week, but he says, um, knowing that, first of all, scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. See, Peter is just giving us another warning here, another reminder. He says, behavior has consequences. The direction of your life not only has ramifications for your physical life, but is ramifications for your eternal destination. It's not meant to be a scare tag. It's just the reality of God's word to us today. It's the reality of our own hearts. The Ecclesiastes says God has put eternity in the hearts of everyone. There's not a single person here, who at some point does not reflect on the fact, is there more to life? What happened when my grandpa died? What, what happened when my husband died? What happened when my child died? What will happen when I die? Is there more to life to come? And so we think, naturally, that there is more to come. And so we need to be careful about the words that we listen to. Because words, some words will lead us to destruction. And other words will lead us to life. We need to think this through because there are some who will come your way with silky smooth language. They will come with wonderfully sounding words. They will want to entice you into a path that feels good and that seems to satisfy all the desires of your heart. They will, as Peter says, entice you by sensual passions of the flesh. Every, I just need to, every passion that we feel has a rightful place. It's not that the Bible says you you can never feel love. You can can never want to enjoy um, sexual bliss. They all have their place within boundaries and within restraints. And they have wonderful places. The passion of eating. The passion of sexual pleasure. Those are wonderful passions. What Peter is saying is that there will those that will come along and say, you can have unrestrained passions. And if you follow that road, it will lead you to destruction. I, was, I have been reading the book of Proverbs again. Uh, and I was reading Proverbs chapter 6 on Tuesday, I think it was. And I, this is a perfect illustration of words and their power to lead us either to life or to death. And the writer of Proverbs 6 says, My son, keep your father's command. Don't reject your mother's teaching. In other words, kids, listen to your parents. Particularly if they know and love Jesus, listen to your parents. Always bind them on your heart and tie them around your neck. In other words, keep them in a place of promises. Those of you who wear necklaces, if you wear them constantly, you know when it's not there. You, oh, Where's that necklace? That's the way we ought to be with the Word of God. It ought to be in such prominent places in our thinking that we know that if it's not there. When you walk here and there, they will guide you. When you lie down, they will watch over you. When you wake up, they will talk to you. For a command is a lamp, a teaching is a light, a corrective discipline in the way of life. And then this, they will protect you from an evil woman, or from the flattering tongue of a stranger. Words. Words. They matter. Wholesome thinking matters. And so Peter is reminding them, and he's reminding us, to stimulate in ourselves wholesome thinking, because that will put us on the path of life forevermore. Father, we thank you for your word today. And uh, for just this reminder again and again in your Bible and uh, in your word to us that we live in a world that we have so many conflicting messages. And Father, we all have to come to some point in our life where we say, I will listen to this word and not that word. We will make a determination about whose words will guide and direct our lives and which words will shape our behavior. Father, it is so important that we understand the implication of whose words we listen to and which words will shape the destiny of our lives. I thank you that you have given us the Bible, which is a counter to so many words around us. Would you give us the wisdom, the insight, the courage, Father, to evaluate words and say, I want these words because they lead to life, and I want to reject those words because they lead to death. And Father, most of all, today I pray for any in this room or who are watching that don't know you as Lord and Savior. They haven't come to the place in their life where they have recognized that they serve somebody. There's no better person to serve than you. And there's no better relationship to have than a relationship with you as Lord and Savior. Oh, speak to hearts, I pray in Jesus' name, amen.